Hello learners and welcome to Learn On Podcast, the science show by kids for kids. I'm your host, Johnsy, and today I will be accompanied by two very special guests from the Unbiased Science Podcast. We are so excited for our first ever collaboration. So without further ado, do you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves? Sure. And actually, I think this is our first collaboration with a, with another podcast. But um, so I'm Dr. Jessica Steyer. I'm a public health scientist and applied biostatistician. And I'm joined by... I'm Dr. Andrea Love. I'm a microbiologist and immunologist. So we start, well, it's so funny because Andrea and I know each other from college. And so we've kept in touch over the years um, and we said, you know, we want to start a podcast and break down scientific topics because my background is more at the population level and Andrea's background is really at the, you know, mi- microbiological level. And so we thought it'd be a really cool, comprehensive way to address scientific topics. And then the pandemic hit and that sort of nudged us, uh, you know, to, to actually formalize this and to get this off the ground. And so... Um, our podcast airs every week, every Monday, and we also have social media pages that are associated with um, Unbiased Science, where we put out infographics at least once daily. And Andrew, do you want to maybe just talk about what the whole point of the infographics and all that good stuff? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, every week is a different topic. So we've covered a wide array of different science and health related topics from how vaccines work. Of course, everybody is very interested in that. Um, we've done some kind of introductory immunology stuff. We've talked about how research studies are designed. We've talked about um, how we protect human subjects in research. We've covered other topics like um, detox diets and um, you know whether organic is healthier or not. And so the goal is really to cover a wide array of relevant topics that listeners and the general public can benefit from learning more about. Um, and part of that is to combat a lot of the misinformation that circulates. And um, you know that's ultimately the goal of the podcast and the social media pages. But the social media pages have been more focused on COVID-19 with a, with a touch of other subjects, whereas the podcast is more diverse in, in each episode. Yeah, we absolutely love what you guys are doing. Medical misinformation has almost always um, been there in the world, but you know, with the pandemic, it has spurred even more fear regarding the medical field, and that's why we love your unbiased science message so much. So today we're going to specifically be talking about nutrition because people's diets and lifestyle overall have been changed greatly by the pandemic. And with that, we've sort of encountered a downward spiral of fad diets, talking about like keto, Whole30 diets like this, and wondering whether they actually work. So we will get into the juicy details of that. And without further ado, let's explore. All right, so as we just mentioned, we are going to be talking about nutrition in this episode. And specifically, the pandemic has impacted nutrition a lot and also people's ideas about what is good nutrition and how to diet and all of those things. So I guess my first question for you guys is, what are the main aspects of nutrition um, and how does one generally choose healthy meals with this information in mind? 
So that's a great question, Johnsy. And, you know, it's very multifaceted. Um, obviously, when we're talking about a healthful diet, we're talking about consuming the right quantities and the right types of food to nourish our bodies. And nourishing our bodies in, involves... Um, you know, the actual amount of energy we're giving our bodies, but also the types of energy. And so, you know, as we know, food is composed of, you know, we use the unit calories, right? And calories are basically a term for how much energy is packed within a certain molecule. And so we know that broadly speaking, they're broken down into proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. And we need all of that to survive, right? Our cells need it, our organs need it, our bodies need all of those types of what we call macronutrients, right? Um, on top of that, there are other things that are in food, our vitamins and minerals or our micronutrients that we also need certain ones in certain quantities for optimal health. And part of that is important for things like bone development or muscle development, but also involved in things like proper immune function. As we've heard a lot about during the pandemic, um, diet is important. You need to have a healthy diet, um, but certainly just having a healthy diet isn't gonna necessarily prevent you get from getting infected, but it will help you have a healthy you know, immune function. And so, you know, I, the, the scientific consensus is generally moderation is key, right? You know, everything in a balanced proportion. Um, so, you know, generally you're going to want to have very nutrient dense foods. Um, you know, the recommendation that half your plate is fruits and vegetables. So fruits and vegetables are high in lots of vitamins and minerals. They're, um, they have lots of fiber, which is very important. Um, and then limiting your amount of, you know, processed, um, you know, overly processed type food products. But ultimately, there's nothing wrong with being too restrictive about what you're eating on a daily basis. And this is such an important topic. And as Andrea just said, you know, we're not just talking about calorie intake with regard to to weight gain, right? Yes, that is one part of it. And we do know that here in the United States, we do have a very big problem with obesity. Over 40% of the population is, is obese. And we know that that comes with a wide array of health implications from cancer to heart disease, stroke, diabetes, all kinds of issues. But it's so much more than, than that. And exactly as Andrew just said, it's about micronutrient, micronutrients and giving our body the, um, the minerals that it needs to, to properly function. And so we actually did an episode because we know that so many people take supplements, right? Vitamin supplements as, as a way to, you know, I don't know, it could be for a variety of reasons, but for one, one reason is to boost the immune system. And that's just not a thing. You know, I, Andrea is the immunologist and she could tell you that, you know, this is not a muscle you can flex. It's not, you know, you can't just take a pill and boost your immune system. It's all about eating a healthy, balanced diet. And yeah, that means, I mean, we, we've seen that diets that are, um, you know, plant-based are very good for you, healthy fats, healthy oils, you know, all fruits and vegetables, exactly as Andrea said, having proteins across the different food groups and just making sure that it's a balanced diet and that you're getting everything the body needs. 
Yeah, and we've also actually done an episode on supplements in our first season regarding how their labels may be misleading and cause them to appear more helpful than they actually are. And it's very important to be aware of what you're putting in your body in terms of medical misinformation and the information that is out there. So that brings me to my next question. Um, during the pandemic, a lot of people are trying to lose weight and all, or just monitor what they eat. So what bad diets have you guys noticed have popped up? And what are your general observations with them? Do they tend to be miracle cures and one size fits all as they're marketed? Or is it something different that is happening behind the scenes? You're absolutely right. Um, I mean, fad diets are rampant, and, and many of them that are popular now are really rebranded from previous eras. You know, like our keto diet is is the rebranding of the old Atkins diet and things like that. But generally speaking, the science demonstrates that um, a a diet that is wide in variety, so lots of different types of food groups, food sources, obviously, um, you know, heavy with um, nutrient-dense foods, so again, fruits, vegetables, legumes, um, whole grains, um, healthy proteins and fats and things like that, and that can be plant-based and it can be animal-based. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, we call the Mediterranean diet, which has vegetable oils and fishes and beans and things like that. Um, most of the fad diets that you're going to encounter, they make big promises, right? Lose weight quick, you know, um, cure your chronic ailments and things like that. And those are red flags, whether it's a diet, whether it's a supplement, whether it's a medication. So anything that makes really bold claims, like it's a one size fits all, or it's a one size cure all or something like that is always something that you should be wary of. Um, on top of that, these fad diets generally are very restrictive, particularly with regard to one type of food, one type of food group, one type of macromolecule. So things that are saying, oh, well, you're not going to eat any fat or you're only going to eat fat and you're not going to eat carbs, those are generally not not sustainable. They might help a person lose weight very rapidly in the beginning. And this is something that's called crash dieting. So you get results quickly, but the data demonstrate that actually these types of diets cause more rebound, meaning the diet ends up failing and the people actually gain back all of the weight, if not more weight than before when they started the diet. So it becomes this yo-yo where you lose weight, you gain weight, you lose weight, you gain weight. And ultimately, aside from the physical changes, that's affecting things inside your body, cellular processes, your metabolism, how you process and, and um, you know, signal with regard to metabolism of carbohydrates. It can affect your insulin signaling. It can lead someone to have predispositions to things like type 2 diabetes. And so anything, regardless of whether it's nutrition-based or anything, that's too restrictive or, or make really, really bold claims, um, those are things that I would caution against. To answer um, what, I, what I think uh, one of the questions you were asking is, 
you know, we're all so different, right, in terms of our genetics and the way that we process things. So it's there's never going to be a one size fits all. You can have two people eat the exact same thing and have two very different reactions. You know, by, our bodies respond differently. And um, but that being said, we do know that there's a foundation of what people should be consuming, right, across the board, and that's the, with the balanced diet that Andrea was just describing. But because of the differences at the individual level, you know, um, genetics and so many other factors, you know, there are other things that we do, our behaviors, um, amount of exercise that we get, other, other, you know, drinking alcohol, other things that we might engage in that could be affecting our, our body and the way that it functions. So it's really not a one size fits all. But that being said, we do know that there's sort of a baseline of what we should all, you know, be consuming. Absolutely. And I also think that of course, you know, it may take multiple tries for you to find a diet that really um, fits for you. And sometimes you might take inspiration from a certain diet, but then not follow it strictly by the textbook. That's fine too. But also, you know, going to our idea of mindfulness, sometimes going into a diet, just absolutely like thinking that I'm going to lose so-and-so amount of weight or all of these crazy goals can not just have um, impacts on your physical health, but also your mental health. And that might, you know, decrease self-esteem. So it's of course okay to try different diets as long as you're aware of um, that, you know, it may not have the intended results and to just be mindful of that. So I think that's also definitely really, really important to keep in mind when dieting. Absolutely. And Johnsy, I would I would add that, you know, I'm more of a proponent or a supporter of overall lifestyle and, and healthy eating as opposed to the term dieting, because I think to your point, it does drum up these ideas of restriction and things like that. And for people that are prone to disordered eating or mental health issues, that can actually exacerbate things. And that can lead to, you know, binges or compulsive exercise or other things associated with, um, you know, having that very rigid view of this is what I need to eat to have this outcome. And we know that, you know, life happens, right? Things don't always play out the way you hope, you know, especially when it comes to your body. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. I mean, even it's unfortunately sad that even like the very term diet itself is so stigmatized and it almost like sounds intimidating whenever you say it. So that is really, really important to keep in mind. And also, I think it's another important thing to bring up that, you know, a lot of people go into diets um, not just considering like weight loss, but also weight gain. And so diets are not just for, you know, weight loss. It can also be to improve lifestyle and other um, different aspects. So we should try to, you know, be more open to different ideas of the term diet rather than just, you know, I'm going to lose weight and eat so-and-so amount of food. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there really is an important interplay with our, you were saying, you know, our mental health, our mental well-being and our, you know, our exercise. It's not just, you know, diet alone, right? It's it's sort of a lifestyle. It's a healthy lifestyle. It's not just one thing. So just wanted to add that. <laughs> Definitely. So this has been a wonderful discussion about what diets are and really what they should be. So now we can move on and discuss how diets have been changed with the pandemic. Let's go ahead and do that and explain. 
Alright, so now an important thing to consider is that, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of people's lifestyle has changed and, you know, also we're spending more time possibly on social media. And so the word diet and um, all of the different ideas of dieting have been coming up a lot more, prompting a lot more people to try different fad diets. So my question for you guys is, how may eating habits be generally impacted in the pandemic, um, whether positive or negative? Whew. Um, <laughs> so many ways, so many ways. So of course, you know, we are living a collective trauma. Let's just be real about this, right? The pandemic has upended our lives, upended our schedules, upended how we exist day to day, right? Um, early on in the pandemic, there were food shortages, right? There were supply chain issues where grocery stores were out of certain types of foods. People were panic buying things because we were afraid we weren't going to have access to food or be able to get to the store. Um, you know, on top of the stress of living in a pandemic, right? Whether it whether you're a frontline worker and you're being exposed to people who are sick or whether you lost your job or whether you're, you know, you're coping with a switch to work from home. I mean, everybody is juggling different stresses and we know that stress affects how we eat and how we our relationship with food and also of course how we process that food right we know that stress can release hormones in our body that can lead to you know more fat retention or um, water retention or other sorts of things and so you know there's so many factors to consider and i would say there are some people who took the pandemic as an opportunity to start healthy lifestyle habits and they got you know better in shape and they changed their diets because maybe they weren't going into the office and eating out every single day they're cooking more at home so they're eating more healthful and more mindfully but there are other people who are coping with the stress and and Emotional eating is a very real thing. Um, I, I will be the first to admit that I gained some weight during the pandemic. I was injured and I couldn't exercise and then I was also stress eating. Um, but I think there's so many factors involved, right? And then we have the added component of people in certain areas of the country who maybe don't have access to fresh foods. So they're relying on say canned foods or frozen foods and things like that. And so there's stigma associated with those types of food sources. And I think it's important to explain that um, those are those can be just as healthful. Frozen vegetables are just as healthful as fresh vegetables. Um, and I think we have to remove kind of the stigma of food um, and and maybe a little bit of the hierarchy of food um you know where people in higher socioeconomic mm -hmm. status maybe view food um in a different way you know that it, you know they have to get only organic and only this and only that and and it and it marginalizes people who don't have that type of income or who are now jobless or who are now experiencing homelessness um and i think the goal is really to continue to spread the science that a balanced diet is critical and as long as you're getting those key components it doesn't matter where it's coming from it doesn't matter if it's a farm fresh produce stand or if it's frozen vegetables from the local store so andrea i mean just covered it very comprehensively i think um i would just say that you know andrea to your point 
this, we are all going through trauma and experiencing so much anxiety and, you know, depression. We're all going through a whole, just so many different emotions. Um, and that affects everyone differently. Again, we go back to this idea of heterogeneity, right? We all experience things differently. So for me, when I get very anxious, I actually forget to eat. I don't eat as much. So I lost weight at certain points in the, in the pandemic. And then at other times, maybe I was you know, stress eating or, or overeating, um, you know, then the, the interesting phenomenon, I think, Andrew, you touched on this, there were times in the pandemic where we all had a lot of time. So instead of eating out or ordering in, I was doing a lot more cooking, which was actually healthier. Um, another phenomenon during the, during the pandemic is that so many of us are home when we might be at school or at work so we're a few feet from our refrigerators maybe we have more access to our pantry than we would if we were at work or not at home and so there are so many factors that are making this a really unusual situation for us and, and i want to add too is uh, um social doing. media certainly has played a part in this you know we've got our social media influencers right our fitness influencers and things like that who are like oh take the free time you have during the pandemic and get fit for the summer um and there are other people who are are just trying to survive and i think we need to have realistic expectations both about you know, our own health, our own nutrition, and also, you know, what people are putting on social media is their best selves, right? It's an unrealistic perception of reality. And I think that alone can be very stressful to people who are simply just trying to cope with living in a pandemic. Right, of course. So I think we can generally agree that with the pandemic, there is a huge give and take related to how your nutrition and weight may be impacted. And so, Dr. Love, I already believe you touched on this a bit with the social media, but how has the pandemic sort of changed the way that we view nutrition and diets? Yes. So, um, of course, we've got people who are being impacted by the pandemic, right? They gained weight because they're stress eating or they're expected to be on Zoom all the time. So they're much more sedentary than if they were at their like whole, their actual workplace where maybe they're running back and forth from room to room or, um, you know, standing for more hours of the day. And so they're gaining weight not because they're necessarily eating more unhealthily but just because their general metabolism is slowing down because they're sitting for more hours of the day and we've blurred this work-life balance right we've blurred this reality between our work lives and our personal lives and so people are often working more and exercising less and so then what happens is they want the solution right they want to correct the error they want to correct correct the change in their bodies and so they're looking for these quick fixes right they're looking for a way to lose my pandemic people are calling it the covid 19 right the covid 19 pounds um and so the fad diets come into play right so people see this on social media they're like oh do this keto diet do this paleo diet do i don't whole 30 you know i'm trying to think of names of them and it's like oh well you you know you stick with this for six weeks and you're going to drop all that weight and the issue is again with the how restrictive they are they don't consider the underlying health implications right are is it sustainable is it is it really a lifestyle change or are you just doing this putting a band-aid on something but not correcting 
you know, the issue or solving the underlying problem. You know, why am I gaining weight? Why am I overeating? All of these sorts of things. And unfortunately, fad diets don't address those. And those have to be addressed with healthy lifestyle changes that are sustainable and not restrictive to the point of a person is going to fail because they just, you know, they can't be continued long-term. The one other thing I'd add is that I wonder if there's something going on psychologically where for the past, I don't know, 15 months, however long it's been, we've all been so fixated on health and, you know, well-being and, you know, we're all afraid of this, of this virus. And there's this idea of, you know, there's a real focus on health. And so I'm wondering if that's also at play here, you know, maybe that's shifting the way that people are thinking and, oh my goodness, you know, I really do want to take care of myself. And, and then they're being pushed to, to these fad diets, which we know aren't super healthy. Um, but again, I think that that, that is another sort of, um, I don't know, consequence of the pandemic and this whole emphasis on, on health for the past 15 years. Of course, months. and I think, I think one of the biggest thing about why fad yeah. diets are spreading a lot is because of the propaganda. They often, you know, they have like sort of an individual target when you see ads for them on social media saying that, you know, there's something that needs to be corrected. And, you know, oftentimes you might notice change in, changes in your body because of your eating habits, but a lot of the times it's also much deeper than that and it can't be corrected with just changing your nutrition. Um, and also uh, to consider what you are actually eating. And sometimes, you know, because you see these fad diet advertisements, even if you don't actually try them, it might lead you into overanalyzing your eating and everyday habits to the point where, you know, it can have a psychological effect on you and prompt you into then starting one of those diets. And if I could, if I could just add one thing, because I know, you know, you, you say this is for kids by kids and it, it pains me because I see so many people who I think children look up to, you know, lots of celebrities and famous people who are condoning these fad diets and pushing these supplements and these, you know, tea, weight loss teas. And I just want you guys to, to, to realize like they're getting paid a lot of money to put that out. That does not mean that they're evidence-based or backed by science at all. And in fact, the overwhelming body of, of medical literature is, shows that those things are not effective and are potentially dangerous. So that's a real bummer that, that, that that's and, and I would add that to that happening. one last thing, I promise, um, especially for kids, you're growing, you're developing, you know, um, depending on your age, you're going through puberty, you know, it's, it's even more critical that you don't restrict your nutrition, you know, your macronutrients, your micronutrients, because those are so critical for proper development and proper growth. Um, you know, so it's even more important that you don't fall prey to those sorts of fad diets when you're young and growing. Um, and, and unfortunately, marketing, as Jess just mentioned, often prey on the vulnerability of kids and the wanting to fit in and the wanting to look a certain way. And, and unfortunately, you know, that's just a, a, a blemish in our society. Definitely. These are some amazing points that you guys have brought up that I think 
people may have never considered until now regarding their nutrition. There are just so many factors that play into your health that can't be solved by these diets. We've considered the causes of this problem. Now let's dive deeper into the effects and specifically how to sort of solve this issue. So get ready to evaluate. Okay, so now we're going to discuss sort of the solutions to this. Fad diets will always be around. There will always be um, people trying to market new and upcoming sort of cure-alls that really are not cure-alls. So my question for you guys is, what are some of the most and least successful popular diets that you guys have seen and why do they work or where have they gone wrong? Oh, yeah, that's, that is... That's a tri that's a tricky question because again, you know, we know everybody's unique. Nutrition is going to be, you know, nutrition and something we haven't talked too much about is even cultural, right? Certain cultures, there are certain foods, certain um, dishes that are just ingrained in the culture, and you can make those fit into your healthy diet, you know, as long as you're aware of what you're eating. Um, I would say, you know, our most successful diets are going to be. Um, riffs on what they what the science is currently calling the Mediterranean diet, which is um, vegetable heavy, um, high fiber, whole grain, legumes, beans, um, fishes, lean meats. Um, so that could include lean poultries, lean um, you know pork and beef and things like that, um, and then healthy fats. So it's not fat. Be, not being afraid of fat, right? I remember in the 80s and that was the the era of the no fat diets, right? Everything was no fat or low fat and and instead they would compensate by adding more sugar to foods and ultimately you're not making it any healthier, it's the same amount of calories. So, um, you know, this this Mediterranean diet, which is kind of an umbrella term because everybody's going to customize it themselves, but it's a very diverse array. Um, the other one that I think is a good guideline is the colorful plate. Um, and so basically you want to add color to your plate. You want vegetables and fruits that are diverse, right? You don't want to just eat leafy greens. You want to throw beets in there and carrots and other things. So all these different colors of fruits and vegetables are because they have specific molecules, specific nutrients in them um, that actually give them color, give them pigmentation. So diversity in color on your plate um, or diversity in the types of foods. Um, obviously you want to limit processed foods as much as you can, but there's nothing inherently bad about them. Um, so if you want, you know, a bowl of Captain Crunch, because I sometimes do, or you want a Pop-Tart, or you want a bowl of ice cream, there's nothing wrong with that, as long as that's not the bulk of your diet. Um, and so kind of by that token, your most, um, your most unsuccessful diets are gonna be the ones that eliminate complete food groups. So those are gonna be things like your keto, where you're basically not eating any carbs or you're extremely restricting your carbs. Um, you know, carbohydrates are essential to bodily processes and you can't, you really can't avoid them. Even vegetables that are low in sugar have carbohydrates. Everything has carbohydrates. Um, or things like, um, the Whole30 diet, which is extremely restrictive in terms of how foods are prepared, what food groups you can eat, and things like that. And 
they're not unsuccessful simply because of what they include or exclude, but there, but there's also that psychological component. It is so overwhelming to your psyche, your, your mental processes to be so fixated on a diet like that, that they also result in failure because of that, because it's, it's just too much to keep in mind when you're also living your life, right? You have a job, you have a family, you have other obligations, you're going to school, whatever the case happens to be. Um, so all of those that are extremely restrictive or really eliminate an entire food group or entire category of nutrient, those are ones that are not going to be successful. Totally agree, Andrea, obviously just, just hit everything I was going to say. Um, I, I think the main takeaway is, you know, everything in moderation. I totally agree that any diet that is, you know, vilifying and, and any one type of food or ingredient or says you absolutely can't have any of something, that's, that's not something that, that I would recommend. Um, and Andrea, as you said, I mean, there's a lot of psychology that goes into that too. If you're telling someone that you can't have any sugar, you can't have, you know, any salt or anything like that, that's, that's, you know, that does something to the mind and it makes you almost crave it more. So, you know, as Andrea said it, you know, if you, if you want some, some sweet treats, some, you know, ice cream, whatever it is, that's fine in moderation, as long as you're hitting on all of those other things that Andrea mentioned. Um, and earlier, I just want to clarify when I said, when I said plant-based diet, I meant, um, you know, there's not, certainly not a vegetarian only diet, you know, meats, are fine. Um, it's just that diets that are rich in, in you know, in plants and, and greens and other vegetables that that's what we know is, uh, is, is considered a very good diet. Right. And in our discussion, I think I've noticed two main patterns. First, the, the fad diets that usually have um, the least results are the ones that are not designed to be long-term, so specifically like Whole30 and Keto, they're not really intended for you to do for long periods of time. So it's more like lose weight and eliminate these foods from your diet and then see how it goes from there. But then it can leave you feeling like even worse in the future when you maybe want to continue that diet, but it doesn't work out. And um, also another thing, um, I believe Dr. Love, the word you specifically used was customize, that even you know the diets you mentioned, like the Mediterranean diet, it's great to have a specific diet to go off of, but then based on, you know, like, you know, allergies and whether you can consume certain foods and if certain foods just feel right for you or not, everybody should, you know, sort of have a different diet of their own. So don't feel like you need to sort of go specifically word to word for what a certain diet says. Absolutely. And and even beyond just, you know, your um you know, medical history, if you don't like a certain type of food, you don't need to eat it even if it's considered healthy. There are lots of other options out there, you know? So if you hate lima beans, don't force yourself to eat lima beans because then you're just gonna resent eating. And eating should be, aside from being a nourishing process, it should be enjoyable. You know, there's a reason why people like to get together and share meals because it's a social, you know, it can be a very social and enjoyable activity. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind, you know, be healthy, have a diverse diet, but also eat the things you enjoy. Yeah, definitely. And I also, that's another interesting point you bring up with, you know, the social aspect, like even over the pandemic, a lot of people are eating like virtually, like gathering together for lunch or dinner and, you know, past the pandemic, um, once we sort of, you know, go into a world that allows more people to eat together more often, 
Um, you know, if you were having such a restrictive diet and then you were just eating your little plate of whatever your diet allows and then everybody else is enjoying food that you really, really want but your diet doesn't allow, that's only going to sort of worsen your mental health and make you feel even less confident about yourself. So it's not only just the food you're eating, but how you feel about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's hard, right? Like if you're 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 being excluded almost, right, from this group activity because, you know, your prescribed diet, self-prescribed diet, um, you know, is eliminating, you know, food groups X, Y, and Z. And and so you're stuck just eating, you know, a few things, whereas everybody else is is sharing in this kind of communal activity. Yep, and, um, and you know, I actually saw a couple of videos um, earlier today about that. I kind of went down a spiral of like influencers trying different diets for like a month and seeing how it goes. And then like almost every single video I saw of, you know, diets like the keto and Whole30 diet, there there was like some shot where they were like all eating together and then <laughs> the influencer just, you know, has their own plate of their food. and so. You know, eating, there's like also the ideas of like mindful eating, like savoring your food and sort of really indulging in like the textures, thinking of where your food came from. And diets can sort of take that away when they're very, very rigid and specific. So thinking about dieting as more of like a guide of what sort of healthy food you should eat is better than, you know, a specific rule that you need to adhere to. Absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. Um, and then also, my other question for you guys was, you know, how can you set goals for dieting in a mindful and healthy manner? And what are the sort of different aspects of your lifestyle that you need to keep in mind when you are possibly setting like eating goals? Mm. I mean, again, it's going to it's going to depend on your own personal, you know, lifestyle. But for me, you know, I I'm a runner, so I am I. I don't journal it, right? I don't physically record it, although some of my friends do, but I try and kind of be aware of, you know, consuming enough protein after a run because that helps with muscle recovery or consuming enough carbohydrates before a run because I know that helps provide energy. Um, but I, but again, I try not to get too hung up on the nitty gritty and just, you know, make sure that my plate is half full of vegetables at dinner and make sure that I have some lean protein. And if it's not um, an animal, you know, if it's not meat, then it's beans or tofu or something like that. Um, and one thing that I think is important because I do the mindless eating, right? When I'm bored, I'll just kind of snack mindlessly and realize that I ate an entire bag of Doritos. So for me, when I feel the inclination to go eat something, I think I take a step first and I think, am I really hungry or am I bored? And a way to answer that question is actually to take, to drink a glass of water. And if you still feel hungry kind of after that, then that's usually a sign that you're probably actually hungry. Um, but take, you know, having a lot of people mistake thirst for hunger sometimes, and we know people don't drink enough water generally either. So that's actually a little trick in the morning. What I do is I have a big glass of water and then I kind of listen to my body and see how it feels. Um, but yeah, I think the mindful component is really important. So before you kind of reach for a snack or reach for something, think to yourself, 
why am I eating? Is it because I'm hungry and my body is telling me that I need to eat something? Or is it because I'm at home because I'm working from home and I need something to do with myself? Something that I've done, and I don't know if this is really answering your question, but I actually got rid of my scale. I don't weigh myself anymore. I don't want the focus to be on how much I'm weighing. I'm more sort of exactly what you're saying, Andrea. You know, I'm listening to my body. If I'm hungry, am I am I thirsty? You know, I, I respond to that. Um, for me, I actually have to kind of remind myself. I get so busy with work that I forget to eat. And then I get super hungry and then I'll eat, you know, I don't want to say too much, but I'll eat a bigger portion than if I had, you know, eaten sort of snack the other day or grazed. That's what works for me. So again, I think it's going to be different for, for everyone, but for me, it's sort of like setting little reminders. You know, I can't wait to have my first meal of the day until the end of my work day. I need to, <laughs> need to have a little bit of something to sustain me throughout the day so that I don't hit, you know, five o'clock and then raid my refrigerator. So listening to my body and making sure that I'm, you know, eating little, little, uh, little meals throughout the day is what works for me. And I think for, for people who especially are trying to start a, a, a new diet or a new lifestyle change, those reminders, physical, maybe even like setting timers, you know, to remind yourself or, you know, kind of planning loosely like, okay, I'm going to have breakfast at such and such time or lunch at such and such time. That can be really helpful because we know that it takes time for a habit to stick. And if you're starting something from scratch, um, creating those sorts of, you know, visual reminders or, or calendar-based reminders until the habit becomes more um, common, that can be really, really useful, especially if you have a tendency to, you know, skip eating and then all of a sudden go and potentially overindulge. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just a matter of balance. And there was actually um, an interesting article I'd read where like a good exercise to do for mindful eating is if like one means you're really, really hungry and 10 means you're like extremely full, you should start eating when you're like around like two to four and then end when you are like six to eight so that you don't you know, starve yourself or overindulge yourself and so you're really listening to yourself. And also with the idea of sort of trying to plan out or schedule your meals, it can also just be a nice reminder to, you know, step away from the screen and mentally recharge as well. So of course, again, you don't want to be so rigid and have a specific like timer where you're going to get up and go eat, but sort of setting goals for yourself about when you are going to eat and having a baseline can really be helpful in that aspect. Absolutely. I think that's a phenomenal idea and it can be, you know, I know we, we are all guilty of waiting too long to eat and then grabbing whatever's fast and obviously those things aren't always the most healthy. Um, and, and, you know, and then it, it can always spiral from there. So I think those sorts of goals, you know, not being too rigid, being gentle and forgiving with yourself, you know, we're all human and, you know, I think the balance is, is key. Definitely. And I also wanted to bring up um, an, another important aspect of like actually buying food or um, like if you're buying ingredients for what you're going to cook, if you cook more at home, then um, also considering labels like organic and non-GMO, there's, you know, a whole uh, load of topics. I'm sure you guys have covered some. Um, but what did you have to say on that? 
So very quickly, there is no data that demonstrate that organic or non-GMO foods are healthier. Um, typically, they cost about 50% more than conventionally grown or conventionally raised foods. Um, and organic foods still use pesticides. So if your reason behind consuming organic is because you think it's pesticide free, that's actually not true. Um, we actually did a couple of episodes on organic and GMOs, um, but ultimately, yeah, don't, um, that's a lot of fear-based marketing. So conventional foods, GMO foods, um, you know, most foods we actually eat nowadays are genetically modified to some degree through either, you know, selective breeding or actual, you know, genetic engineering. Um, and they're just as helpful, if not more so, depending on what the food is. Oh my goodness, I see a kitty. Sorry, uh, Andrea just adopted kitties. Um, so sorry, I was just going to say exactly that. I mean, the science does not support, uh, you know, that organic foods are better for you or that GMOs are harmful. Um, so yeah, and, and there's so much uh, that goes into that, you know, the, uh, the organic foods have become sort of, um, what's the, not bougie, what's the word I'm looking mm. for, you know, um, a little bit elitist. Elitist. That is the word I'm looking for. Um, and that's that's really unfortunate because there's absolutely no basis for it. And I wish folks realized that it's just really good marketing. <laughs> they're doing this as a business. This yeah. is really, they're doing this from a business perspective. Well, and, and the other problem is, is that it, again, it marginalizes people who can't afford organic products and it makes them feel like they're somehow inferior or they're eating inferior food or they're not getting as much nutrition. And that's just not the case from the science. Right. And of course, you know, if you really enjoy like a certain granola bar that is marketed as organic, then there's nothing wrong in having it. But it's just to keep that in mind when you're shopping. And um, another thing that I've come across, of course, there's there's so many things out there on the internet for you know healthy recipes and um, things you can make at home that are also good to keep in mind you know if you're trying to follow a diet or sort of meal plan um, and also if you just like find yourself having like some free time then maybe creating meals in advance or like preparing the ingredients for that so that you don't you know find yourself prone to like overindulging and then maybe feeling bad about yourself later absolutely meal prep is a lifesaver for me sometimes. Um, and I, I am a big fan of leftovers. I like to make big meals and it's just me and my partner and I will eat leftovers all week long. Um, I don't get sick of it. I know some people do, but, um, that's another strategy I use where I'll make a big, big casserole or a big, you know, pot of soup or something. And I'll eat that for four days in a row. And meal prep is also really good for the wallet because I find if I don't do that, then I just, you know, binge shop at the grocery store because I haven't sort of planned out my, my meals for the week. So, yeah, that's a fantastic strategy. All right. So I think we've covered, you know, a lot about nutrition, different like labels to think about and how to, you know, choose the right food. Was there anything else you guys had in mind that you wanted to discuss or any important points? I think the one last thing I would want to say is just be wary what you see on the internet, right? We know that anybody can put anything up there and, you know, we, we want to instill the habit of fact checking, um, you know, even with, you know, with kids, right? You know, we want to get into this habit of if you read something, don't just hold it at face value. You want to make sure it's legitimate before 
changing a habit or starting a new routine? You know, is there science behind it? Is it actually healthy? Is it going to be potentially harmful? So, you know, just just remember that, that, you know, anything online is not necessarily factual. That That is such an important point. And I think that um, learning how to critically appraise whether something's evidence-based, um, that's going to take time and, and skill. Um, I would just, again, to, to echo what Andrea just said, caution that if someone's pushing a particular product, you have to be mindful of ulterior motives, financial motives for doing so, and that these fad diets are more often than not um, financially driven and not science-based. Of course, that this was like really, really helpful. I think we all definitely learned a lot in this discussion. So I think that wraps up today's investigation. All right, so I think we've covered a lot of important points today. We've discussed you know, how nutrition is very, very subjective. It depends from person to person. You want to think about the quality and quantity of your food. Um, and also, it's also very important to think about, you know, things that you see on the internet and labels that you may see on your food, really fact checking it and thinking about what that information truly means um, and individually how it will impact you, you know, before you act upon it. Um, did you guys have any final comments? I think we've covered a lot of ground here. I, d I don't have any other comments. No. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, nutrition, nutritional sciences is probably one of the more complex topics because it is so personalized. It's so individualized. Um, and, you know, I think as long as you're maintaining that balance and that moderation that we've been discussing, um, you know, and, and you feel healthy, you know, I mean, you'll notice if you have a lack of energy or if you feel sluggish, I mean, those are all cues. So listen to your body and, you know, try and be mindful about the foods you eat. Definitely. Thank you guys so much for coming on our podcast. This was so awesome to have you here. Um, we will be linking, again, all of their information in the description. Um, so if you want to check out their podcast, which you definitely should, it will all be there. Um, and you guys also have um, a lot of information on nutrition. So you guys can feel free to check that out to learn more. And um, we will also have on our website posting some important resources if you want to expand your knowledge on this topic. So once again, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. This has been awesome, and I'm really, really happy to have you here. Thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun, and I love that you are bringing up such important topics for all of your listeners. I think we all could benefit from a discussion about healthy, healthy nutrition. Absolutely. Really, what you're doing here is incredible. You are an incredible you. young woman, and it's been a pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you so much. All right, then. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in, and we will see you in the next one. Bye for now.